Hi, welcome to season two of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winnie Da Silva. Thank you for supporting me in this podcast. If you've listened to an episode and felt its impact, could you tell someone? You could forward them this episode, post about it on social, or text someone who might be interested in listening. If you could share just one, I'd be grateful. Today, I talk with the CEO of an international leadership development firm. And I love this conversation because he talks about what he refers to as his weakest strengths. Because he knows what he's good at and what he loves to do, but he also knows that these strengths could become his weaknesses if they end up holding him back from looking at the things he needs to work on. Take a listen. One of the best books I've ever read is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he has a quote, we don't rise to the level of objectives, we fall to the level of our systems. The leadership challenge is, for me, the, the systems, the rigor and the discipline is not my strength. Okay. Mine is squirreling, bright, shiny objects, finding new ideas, playing with clients, delivering. I love delivery. But what I wasn't good at was complete a finisher. I wasn't good at the rigor and discipline of keeping the metrics in sight, ensuring that we were doing the right things. We need to be making sure all of our systems and all of our habits are nested in the right way to allow us to be successful. And that's hard work. Colin Hunter is the CEO of Potential Squared International, which delivers high impact leadership assessment and development solutions. Their purpose is to create a measurable global playground that disrupts the way people are led and to uncover heroes, innovators, and future leaders. With over 70 consultants based in the UK, Europe, the US, Asia, and South Africa, Potential Squared is truly a global team. Colin is also the author of the upcoming book, Be More Wrong. Colin Hunter, thank you so much for being on my show. I'm really excited about our conversation today. I love being here. It's great and good to speak to you today, Winnie. Yeah, and Colin, it's funny because I've been thinking about our relationship and how we know each other. And can you believe that we've known each other for 10 years? It's incredible. And I also think about the transformation of our relationship as well. When we first met, what we've been doing, and it's nice that we're almost our careers and our work is coinciding with podcasts and books and work. It's lovely. It feels like a nice conversation to have, but 10 years, wow. Long while. I know, exactly. <laughs> and one of the things that I loved about working with you when I was working with you and Potential Squared was your great clients. Potential Squared has some really top-notch clients, and I really loved working with the clients that you have. And a few things that I've always liked about you is your desire to learn and try new things in our industry, always pushing the envelope around what's new and different and how can you incorporate that to serve your clients. And the other thing that always strikes me about you is how much you enjoy engaging with your clients. I'm grateful for many things, but I'm grateful for clients who are willing to take risks with the work that we do. And we'll get into a bit of this, but describing our business and our work we do as a playground, you've got to have people to play with you in the playground. And those are the clients. And it's great that people are willing in a safe space to almost risk their careers to have a go at things that are different. I don't take our client relationships for granted. I think they are great people, but they and I know that it just takes two or three things to go wrong and things can change. But if they're doing them together, if we're doing those things wrong together, which is part of our mantra, then it's a good place to be because we learn together and we grow, which is great. Yeah. And it's funny because of what you do, both in terms of leading a company that provides leadership development to clients 
and you are also leading that company, there's a lot we can talk about. And so there are definitely a couple of things I want to cover. So first of all, I'd love to hear a little bit about why you originally started Potential Squared and what you love about what you do and what leadership insights maybe have you gained from working with those leaders over these last several years? And also I'd love to hear about your own personal leadership challenge. So let's start with Potential Squared. So why did you start it and what do you love about what you do? It's interesting because when I go back to the start of Potential Squared, I was basically let go by a company, Procter & Gamble. And at the time I was let go, I went and did an MBA. And I started to have a bit of soul searching. But the amazing thing was I took a year off, did the MBA full time. And I got to meet 40 other people who are, a lot of them are still friends, who we started to explore their backgrounds. And a lot of these people were very senior in businesses. And I sat in front of them and I had imposter syndrome. (laughs) And I've had it probably most of my life. But it was interesting that that year of doing an MBA I got to understand my worth, but I also got to understand other people's worth. But I also got to understand that I could hold a conversation with senior folk and have a value to add. And it was interesting because on the back end of the MBA, one of the people that went for an assessment center for a training and development company, I had no idea what I was going to do afterwards. I'd been in pharmaceuticals with Procter & Gamble. And he went and had the assessment center and he failed. But in his failure debrief, He said, if this is what you're looking for, two people I'd recommend. And one of them, luckily, was me. And I I put it down to the fact that I had a year where, where I was myself. So I became myself again. And suddenly some people saw something in me which was valuable. So I went and joined what was the Oxford Group, still is running now as a business. And I found my niche. And it was fantastic. So That led to three years of working with clients and being myself. Some of those clients are still my best friends and still work with them. And so the business was set up with another of my colleagues at the time. We set up the business to go out and have fun and play and learn. And even though I didn't articulate that at the time, it was the start of us realizing that one of the key things we needed to do was create a fun playground to develop leaders. That's what we're about. We were early stages there and we had a lot of learning to do and spent quite a bit of our time going around Africa at the time, working on developing leaders in different countries. But that leadership transformation was exactly what our clients wanted to do. They wanted to have fun with us in the evening. They wanted us to have fun with their people during the day. And through that fun, there was a hell of a lot of learning (laughs) that went on. And that's how we started it. And we put together a mantra at the time, which is, we're about creating heroes of the people we work with. And that's what we stuck with for all of our work so far. I would love to peek behind a couple of things that you've said, which I really like. So I really want to understand a little bit more about, you said, a year where I was myself. What did that mean to you? And how did you get there? I once did an experiment when I was a kid, which I didn't realize was an experiment. But I had two groups of friends that I got on well with. One was from my old school, and one was from a new school. And I thought, look, I get on well with both of these groups. Surely I should bring them together. And they would get on, and then we'd have a larger group. <laughs> I tried to bring these two groups of friends together, and they just didn't work at all. <laughs> and I had that moment of going, so why does this not work? So I found my love of trying people experiments. And when I went back to do the MBA, one of the key things I'd learned was 
the advice I had received when I was a younger person was go be an accountant, go be a tax consultant. It was the best career in the world for you. It just didn't fit me. And so in the end, when I went on to Procter & Gamble and I was doing a job in sales, but it was quite a soul-destroying job, I literally, I had a breakdown and I've written about it in the book that is coming out this year, but I had a breakdown where I had spent literally two weeks at my parents' house just in bits because I had worn myself out trying to be something I was not. So to be in that position. That's powerful. Yeah. There's a lot of friends who I know have got addictions and other things. And the, the moment where you suddenly realize something profound about yourself like that is a moment I will never forget. You're really relating that breakdown to not being yourself yeah, and trying to be someone that you weren't. That breakdown helped you to let go of that and embrace who you are. And you were rewarded for that. Yeah, I was lucky. There's the old expression, uh, the harder you practice, the luckier you get. But I was lucky that I had a good circle around me to uh, support me. So from then on, I went to the MBA and I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose now. I may as well just be myself. And I had my opinions. And before, a lot of the times they'd been squashed by either school or university or the parental system. And suddenly I was releasing my opinions and they seemed to have validity. For the first time, I felt like I was being listened to. I became myself. I relaxed. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about is you now have mentioned fun or play several different times in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> and that to me is powerful and compelling, partly because I struggle to <laughs> tap into that for myself, but you're relating that to being yourself is having fun. And your point of view around learning is connected to play. Could you talk a little bit more about that? I've got a forming point of view. I, I was watching a TED talk by Tandy Newton. She was talking about being an actress growing up in the UK and how she was struggling to find her identity. And the times that she felt most at ease is when she got into a part and she didn't have to worry about her own identity. She took a new one on and worked with that. And I think there's a piece in there about almost being yourself is one thing. Developing into somebody you want to be is a different thing. And I think this is where authenticity comes in. Authenticity is defined as is, is changeable. It's not what you always are. It's the developable piece in you. And I suddenly discovered that I had an ability to observe and connect with people, the ability to read people. So being myself was the ability to pick up on the messages that people were giving and the ability then to use them to bring people together, to connect, to grow, to have fun. That for me, in terms of being yourself, and the playground was I had to play with different personas and, how, and different points of view and see how they worked. And therefore, I learned. So in some ways, Tandy and the work we do with our actors now is exactly the same thing. We get them to adopt a persona which the clients or the participants can play with. And they can work out whether what they're doing is truly themselves or is something they've learned or been told to do. And I learned when I did the MBA is I could be successful just by playing and trying different roles. By the end of that year, I had so much confidence, felt I could do anything in the world. It's almost like the ability to experiment, which equals the ability to learn, requires some levity, that sort of feeling of you're on a playground, 
nothing's going to be written in stone. Whatever comes out of your mouth or whatever you're creating doesn't have to be a finished product. And what you're saying is that's creating this environment for learning. It is. And in some ways, it's the perception of risk and failure in here is so huge. There's a study based on a campaign for the army in the UK between the ages of 18 and 22, 86% of the young folks in there have this massive fear of failure. What they're trying to do is develop them into learning how to make mistakes, learn fast and grow. When I look back at my education, I look back why I set up this business. My whole purpose was to release people from fear of having a go and playing Mark Huggins. And I set up uh, Forum Theatre. The whole principle was a bit like Whose Line Is It Anyway, where you interacted with the audience. One particular day, we had 15 senior leaders in a room, and the actors were up front doing this Forum Theatre, and it was a coaching scenario. We had 15 leaders come into that seat and try what they thought was the tried and tested management leadership skills. And then this junior leader who had just started, very nervous, he said, I'd like to try something different. Okay. And he said, what I see is three points of view here. And I'd love you to see those different points of view. Stand next to me at this point and let me describe this point of view. And then he took him to the next point. And he said, right, let me describe what I'm seeing from here. And took him to the third point and said, right, let me describe what I'm seeing from here. Now, I'd like you to go stand in the middle of this triangle and tell me what the answer is. But he'd given three perspectives. And it was that moment where they realized that playground had all given them a lesson, how to coach, how to get people to see things in a different way and how to create change in their organization from a junior person. But it was because of the actor and the playground, they got that message. So I'm a great believer. If we can create those, we change mindsets. You're bringing in professional actors to come in. They're doing some role plays in the context of either the learning topic or specifically what's required of their role or what's happening within their organization. So it's very, it has a strong organizational context, that role play. But you take it a step further where there's a debrief afterwards. So it's not like, a, oh, yeah, that was good. And no, the debrief is not only coming from the actor who's seen things differently from other people in the room who are corporate executives or whatever, right? So you get that debrief from the actor in terms of whether it's body language or gravitas or things like that. But then they're also inviting feedback from everybody else. So you're really in the middle getting a critique. And that's really powerful. We're asking people to stretch themselves to play, to not do what they've always done, but try do something different and explore. And the great thing is they have a remote control so they can stop and start yeah. and rewind at any time and they can rewrite their script. I love that approach. You talked about being yourself, but also where you were going to. And that was an interesting point you made, which is how can you be yourself, accept who you are, and yet know that you wanna be more? right? Or you want to learn and you want to grow. That's a real sweet spot for what we do. And what we do with our clients is helping people accept their strengths and embrace those strengths and leverage them. And at the same time, uncover their blind spots and being open to where they need to go. But you really had a good example of that in terms of how that worked for you, <laughs> but also how that works for the clients that you work with. I think this piece about where you want to go and what you want to do, let me give you a, a flavor of that. I demerged from my original business partner in the business in 2007. One of the key reasons was I wanted to practice what we preach. 
And I didn't believe we were doing that in the previous incarnation. So I had to overcome this principle of imposter syndrome. I didn't understand why anybody would want to be led by me. I wrestled for about six or seven years, feeling I needed to have a business partner with me to support me because I couldn't do it by myself. But every time I experimented with that, I realized that nobody else could almost match my desire and passion to role model and learn. So I've had to learn that I've got to grow some resilience or what I call anti-fragile, Nicholas Taleb calls anti-fragile in myself to be able to thrive and learn and grow and experiment and sometimes go tight on cash flow when we're investing or we're not having as good a time because we've invested something. I've had to change myself. I've still got the same values, but I've transformed a lot of my mindsets and my habits, my systems and practices. And that's been a huge journey for me. So many leaders make a lot of assumptions about leaders they see or they know that they've always been confident. They've always seen themselves as leaders. And the clients that I know and, and a lot of the guests that I've talked to on this podcast, that's just not true. And in fact, a lot of the most successful leaders that I've talked to talk about exactly what you're saying, which is overcoming that imposter syndrome and pushing through and really getting to the point like, you know what, actually I can do this and I need to do this. Like it's me um, and I need to step up. So I'm, I'm glad that you shared that because I think that's encouraging to a lot of people. And so how long has Potential Squared been around? 2001. So 20 years now. Yeah, feels that's aging me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You've been working with clients for a while. What leadership insights have you gained in terms of working with leaders? What patterns have you noticed about what makes a successful leader? What have you observed? When things are going well, go and tell your client. When things are going badly, run and tell your client. When we discovered design thinking and this for learning fast and failing early, that mantra about how to get a team to drive that, it's very rare I see leaders who are willing to allow for their teams to run and tell the client that they're failing. And they normally it's all about cover up, it's all about the perfect product, it's all about liability, it's all about the lawyers. There's a deep partnership with your customers and your clients and involving your customers and clients. And that's why I'm loving the era of getting your products out there. If you're proud of your product, you're too late to market. It's about getting it in there and testing your prototypes and your experiments. A lot of people are familiar with and would probably in theory agree with the whole idea of failing fast and how that can be beneficial, especially in innovation. But I think you're right. It's rare that you find people who are really willing to take the risk to do some of that, especially on a regular, consistent basis. And I think the, the second thing I've, I've learned from insights is how people choose careers. It's going back to the school and the choices, and I've got daughters who are 16 and 15, they're just deciding what they want to do. And I remember when I was going through science, no had clue what I was going to do. But also, I didn't have the skills and the tools to help me understand my presence, you know, as you talked about gravitas, all of these different things. And therefore, the other piece, the ability to have a self-awareness and understanding, the ability to learn by failing fast, the ability to tell a story, have your narrative, understand experiences, build rapport connected teaming, all these things early. So it's about finding the ability to get people to develop, grow, and then be leaders. I'm fascinated to see whether we can create the anti-fragile resilience in our younger people so that they go through apprenticeships and universities and are ready for the world rather than 
learning at the age of 25 where they've got some wasted years that we could be teaching them something beforehand. So I want to change education basically is what I'm looking to try to do. Yeah, we always tell our kids that it's about learning how to learn. That's the most important skill that you can have right now, because you're probably going to have maybe five to 10 careers or certainly jobs and be open to creating your own, right? Of course, we're both entrepreneurs, so we would have that perspective, but that it's not just about being technically competent. It's about being able to engage with people and engage with yourself in all the ways that you talked about. And that being the true differentiator for people and certainly for leaders. I've got one more if it's... Yeah, uh, please. It's a hypothesis. I've got a good friend who's friends with Susan Cain, who wrote the book about introverts. And I have a strong belief in my work with leaders that the best leaders in the world are introverts. But I'm putting it out as a hypothesis at the moment to test it. Because us extroverts, I'm including myself in there, can't stop talking. (laughs) And that ability to give other people space and step back and allow others to step forward and take place. And and a lot of people who are introverts probably have the imposter syndrome thinking, I always miss out. I don't say it quick enough. But actually, at a leadership space, I have this belief that those people who are holding back are allowing others to step forward. So I've got almost got a lifetime ambition to prove that the introverts are the best leaders in the world. And I'm having a few fights with extroverts as I go along. But yeah, introverts, I think we're winning the battle at the moment. You know, it's funny you say that because so I'm an extrovert as well. And I actually agree with you. And part of the reason I agree with you is and it, it goes back to something you were saying earlier about feeling like you needed a business partner because and I assume you feel the same way being an extrovert, too, is I actually think better when I'm talking to somebody and I work for myself and sometimes I partner with other people and I love that, but introverts don't have to talk to other people to think (laughs) like they can just do it by themselves and not to sound exclusive, but it's not like I can just talk to anybody. Like I need to talk to someone who can really be a thought partner with me and think through things. So I actually tend to agree with you because I think introverts have that advantage of being able to just be on their own and think through things and come to the table with some really well thought out things rather than me, where it's like, I've got some ideas, but I, I need to talk it through. <laughs> <laughs> I call it my verbal diarrhea that comes out in the ideas. So I'm trying to do things like headspace, 20 minutes a day meditation in the morning to clear my mind, because underneath all that rubbish that's in my head and needed to get out, some of them are the really good ideas. I envy sometimes that ability to have silence and be in silence and think. So I've had to create it in my own life. And I find it so beneficial, really do. Yeah, I have to agree. I'm such a journal nerd, but I have two journals. One is my prayer personal journal. And then I have a business journal and I journal every day about what I'm going to do that day and what I'm struggling with. So it's like my own way of finding someone to talk to. Maybe you could tell a little bit about your own personal leadership challenge. What's been particularly difficult for you over these last 20 years as you've led and grown Potential Squared? If people are familiar with Lord of the Rings, where Frodo and Sam are wandering around And they're trying to get to Mordor and they come to a space and they go, we've been here before. We've come back to the same place. And our biggest challenge, Sharon, my COO and I, decided we'd be walking in circles. And it's interesting because we go off and we win some more business and we get excited about bright, shiny objects. And then we forget all the lessons that we've learned about how to sustain that as a business. And it's a bit like if you put your time into sales, you're going to win sales. And then suddenly you get sales and you need to swap into the delivery side. 
And when you're delivering, you forget about sales. And then suddenly you realize your pipeline is dry. And it's this ability to keep the operating rhythm of the business going and not walk in circles. So we've redefined ourselves to say, we don't want to come back here. We don't want to continually walk in circles. So we're on a new journey to try shape the future. But going back to sitting on a Thursday night, worried about your cash flow, the cash flow is pinged through at 11 o'clock from my head of finance. And I used to wake in bed, look at the email, and it shifted my mood for the whole weekend. And it was all because we were driven as a lifestyle business and not a proper business, as I started to describe it. So we've got to get the rigor, discipline, systems and habits in here to be a proper business. Still a fun business, but a proper business. That's been my biggest challenge. And so tell me a little bit about the leadership piece behind that, because that is a business challenge. You do mention a piece of that in terms of the leadership around managing your mood, but also about making that mindset shift from who you are as a business around, we're small, it's okay, to maybe thinking bigger. Maybe you could share a little bit about that. What's the personal challenge behind that? I think it's characterized by one of the best books I've ever read is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he has a quote in there, which is, we don't rise to the level of objectives, we fall to the level of our systems. The leadership challenge is that for me, the, the systems, the rigor, and the discipline is not my strength. Okay. Mine is squirreling, bright, shiny objects, finding new ideas, playing with clients, delivering. I love delivery. But what I wasn't good at was complete a finisher. I wasn't good at the rigor and discipline of keeping the metrics in sight, ensuring that we were doing the right things in sales. And it's this bit about sometimes people say, well, going and running your own business, it must be fun because you've got control of everything. But it still has the same challenges that we work with with corporate clients. The leadership challenges, basic things like checking whether people understand what you've given them as a task. Yeah, I don't need to ask you. I've told you, you need to go off and do that. But we implemented something called brief back, check back, which came from the Royal Marines. Now we've asked them the question, now brief back what you've heard. And it's uh, almost, you feel like you're patronizing somebody by saying, can you repeat what I've just said? But it's amazing how often people give you a different definition of what you thought you told them. So doing that discipline is one thing, but related to that was coaching. And I do coaching for a living, but it's my weakest strength. I go out and get paid by clients to do it. But cobbler's children, I didn't do it enough in our business. And therefore, I was not spending the time sitting down and properly coaching. I was catching up with people, but not properly coaching. So therefore, I was missing pieces. There is this going around in circles to move people forward. We need to be doing all this, making sure all of our systems and all of our habits are nested in the right way to allow us to be successful. And that's hard work. Yeah, it almost sounds like it's a mirror, right? The mirror, you're reflecting back the good and the bad of a founder, essentially, is that that founder's strengths and weaknesses get mirrored back into the organization to the business. What I feel like you're saying is you've come to a point at which you're looking more closely into that mirror and saying, okay, there are some pieces here that the business has some gaps that I have and we can fix that. <laughs> let's get into that and let's figure that out because it doesn't have to be that the business reflects your own areas that you don't like to do or that you're not as good at. You can do something about that. Yeah. 
And you've got to have the ability to let go as well. That's the other. Yes. I describe myself as a control freak. And if you remove the control, all you've got is the freak. There's a piece in there that says, you know, as a control freak, I've got to have the ability to just let people get on with it. And in the spirit of that, they can make their own mistakes, be more wrong, the title of the book, and then they can learn from that. But if I try to guide them all the time, it's tiring, wearing, but also I haven't got the best ideas. And I think that's my other big learning is that there's other people out like, like Sharon, my COO, who has much better ideas than I do. So why not let her get on with it? Yeah. I like when you were talking about practicing this new thing of asking people, what did you hear me say? I talk a lot about that when I'm talking with new managers or not necessarily even new managers about how do they manage or accurately be able to talk about expectations. So how do you set expectations with people that are working for you? And that's one of the things that I ask them to, to try and do. And you're right. It's interesting because it, it feels so awkward, but the more you do it, the more you realize, wow, there's really value here. Partly because sometimes you might say something and they reflect it back and you're like, wow, hmm, I did say that, <laughs> but actually yes. I meant something else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or I missed something. Actually, you're, you're exactly right, but I need to add to it. Right. So it's not always about them. Sometimes it's about uncovering what you didn't say or should have said. That's interesting. You're trying that as a practice within your business. Is there anything else you're doing to grow your business in terms of the gaps you see and what that means for you as you lead it? Well, we're doing two things. One is we put in place an advisory board about 18 months ago. Nice. So three people who have very different skills to come in and be our advisors. They're really grilling us about, <laughs> are we living? What are we doing? What's the strategy? Why are we doing that? Oh. But we've also started shifting. We're rotating the advisors so that we're keeping ourselves fresh. Because before I had no boss. So that's one thing we're doing. And then the second thing we've got is a client board. So we're inviting seven top people in top businesses that we work with to come and co-develop products with us. We've kicked off virtual reality as a, a new leadership product, but we're going to test out how to use that in diversity. So we're going to use this client board to give them headsets to think about how we use virtual reality for a social purpose, which is how do we overcome the problem of educating people around equity, but also just as a new way of learning because VR and augmented reality and mixed reality are going to be the new tenants of most learning and development programs. So that's the other thing we're doing. So if you've got those two boards scrutinizing what you're doing, then the rigor and the discipline, you've got people sitting on your shoulders. So those are the other two things we're doing to keep us true. I love that. The other piece to that is partnership, right? Feeling like you have partners. These guys are, if they don't now, which I'm sure they do, but they're going to care even more <laughs> about you, Potential Squared and its success. And that's another huge advantage that you have. It's funny with the advisory board, I worked with a client and I was coaching him and coaching his whole company. And I started working with him when it was just him and one other employee. And at some point I said, it can't just be me. You need an advisory board. Like, you know, I'm not enough. So he put together an advisory board and it, actually he just got acquired last year by another company. But I think that that accountability and you're right, as entrepreneurs or as founders, you just don't have that. And to invite other people in to bring their good ideas and scrutinize is great. And I just love this idea of this co-developing with clients. That's great. It's scary. Scary, but good. You mentioned the book that you're... Could you talk a little bit about that? 
why you wrote the book, what you hope the book will help people with? I was sitting next to a gentleman who's a role model for me, Michael Bungay Stanier, who wrote The Coaching Habit bestseller. And he was just starting to work on that. And, and I said, I want to write a book. We started to work on the concept of the hero's journey, which if you haven't heard about is you think Lord of the Rings and Frodo leaving the village and going off and facing good and evil and having a guide and Gandalf and coming back and learning and growing and, and never really fundamentally being the same again. So we built on that. And iteratively over three and a half years, I've crafted this book into being what's now the PI2 leadership model assessment tool that we have, which has won two awards last year. It's become a book about how from unlikely leaders, people who have imposter syndrome or just like myself or others, to prove to themselves that actually by being more wrong, you, know, you can be successful. So it's a journey to outstanding leadership by being more wrong is the title. Wow. And it's given me permission to see all my failings in my career and life as being successful, yeah, which is a nice way of starting to see that I can help others to do that. But it's been a journey of pain and love. <laughs> so that's it's coming out in September, September 21st. It sounds exciting. It sounds like it really transformed from more of an external book to an internal book. It sounds very personal and reflects a lot about you and the clients that you work with. It does. That's awesome. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to read it. As you look back over your career and your life, are there important lessons or learning moments that you continue to come back to that help you in times of difficulty or in times of change? I'm a strong believer to be fit and healthy mentally, um, as well as physically as a core part of leadership, and then having the systems and disciplines in there. And I think that's the one thing I do every day is get to the point of clearing my head. Um, getting my fitness, my health, but also just as you do journaling to work at what I'm doing, getting the ideas and keeping yourself fit and healthy and fresh. Otherwise, why should anybody be led by you? Rightfully so. I think the bar is higher for us because we're supposed to be helping other leaders. And if we're not helping ourselves, we're not really helping our leaders and our clients and the people that we work with. So yeah, the, the bar as it should be, I think is high for us. Yeah, it's great though. It's a good bar to live up to and it, you know, in theory, going to extend our life and make us happy. So that's the equation. <laughs> exactly. Is there anything that I haven't asked that we should talk about? The other bit that's come to me over the last two years is about the right measures in your life. What things are you measuring? Yeah. I do believe that a lot of people, a lot of leaders adopt other people's metrics and don't take the time to think about their own leading indicators, whether it's towards their own purpose, towards their own measures of success for themselves. And having an idea of those leading indicators for themselves. So having some real, very simple leading indicators that you can measure in there is important and not adopting other people's. What are yours? And that's why we've changed our, our purpose from creating a playground to disrupt the way people are led through to creating a measurable playground. So we know we're heading in the right direction. That's really good. That's a lot of conversations I have with clients is doing the hard work that it takes to really figure out yourself. Who do you want to be? What does leadership look like to you? What does success look like to you? And it's actually in some ways, obviously not as satisfying, but at the time it feels easier to take on someone else's measurements, yeah. but it doesn't get you to where you could or should be. And it's hard work to figure that out for yourself, but very rewarding. Advice on how to do that. The key thing for me is doing the experiments, having a hypothesis. It's back to Simon Sinek's work about infinite mindset versus finite mindset. We started an experiment a while ago 
we had a lack of connection, particularly because we closed the office just before COVID. So every day we put a pulse at 9.15 in the morning. The whole team gets on for half an hour and we do what is called Churchill's prayers. Basically, Churchill during the war used to do this thing, which is all gathering together and say, what did you do yesterday? What are you doing today? And what are you doing tomorrow? And we put that in place to try see if we could build connection and build alignment and have that more of a team sense. So we experimented. Now it's my favorite thing of the day. That's such a concrete example. And in some ways, it turned out as an experiment. Now you love it. I like the word that you use, nesting, because then it's like, okay, now that's a habit. That's something that we do. It doesn't even feel like it's hard to do because it's just embedded in what we do. Let's try something else yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and add another experiment to the pile there. But like you said, pull it if it's not working and that's fine too. Colin, this has been such a fun conversation. I really, really have enjoyed it. I think there's so much here for people to learn and to be encouraged by and be really inspired by. So thank you for taking the time. And I can't wait for your book to come out and how Potential Square evolves. <laughs> <laughs> Good to speak to you, Winnie. Take care. Cheers now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winita Silva. Could you take a few minutes to provide a rating or write a comment on Apple Podcasts? Also, reach out to me at www.winniedasilva.com to learn more about my work in executive coaching, leadership development, and team effectiveness. If you have your own story of overcoming a leadership challenge you'd like to share, please email me at winnie at Maybe I'll even have you on my show. Thanks so much. <laughs>